The Football Mental Health Alliance podcast. A mental health podcast for grassroots football. Our aim, to boldly delve into the intersection of mental health and football. We feature notable experts and ex-pros who are not afraid to share their wisdom and personal journeys with mental health. Hi, I'm Danny Mafferu. Welcome back to the Football Mental Health Alliance podcast. This week, I sit down with the Vault Ambassador, Tasha Walsh, who returns to the podcast to discuss ADHD and grassroots football. Studies now suggest that one in five people are neurodiverse, and it's becoming more apparent that ADHD and other neurodiverse conditions are more and more prevalent in the game at all levels. Sit down with Tasha, as I said, to discuss this massive topic. Between us, we, talk, we discuss understanding ADHD, dispelling myths and misconceptions, coaching techniques for players with ADHD, ADHD and game strategies, psychological support and building resilience in ADHD players, creating an inclusive environment for players with ADHD, nutritional and lifestyle advice for ADHD players, and how those academies that embrace ADHD will attract and retain the best talent moving forward. On to you, Tasha Walsh. Right, Tasha, thanks so much for this. Really, really appreciate it. Um, so we'll crack straight in. But before we do, could you just give us a bit of background on who you are, what you do, why you do it, please? Yeah, so I'm Tasha Walsh and um, my um, business is Seen and Heard Therapy. Um, my background is in therapy, children's counselling, working in schools, um, did that for eight years and then settled privately about three years ago. Um, and I specialise in neurodiversity, working with people, adults and children and young people, predominantly with ADHD or autism, um, but lots of other difficulties as well. And I offer trainings in neurodiversity um, to therapists and anybody that will listen just to kind of try and change people's you know um views or um understanding of what adhd and autism is uh, and how it affects people um hence speaking to you today to hopefully yeah. do within a sporting community um, excellent what, what's your um, what's your personal experience in around adhd and, and neurodiversity uh, so both my children are ADHD. Um, my son is what's called combined. So that means he's hyperactive, impulsive and inattentive. And my daughter is predominantly inattentive. So very different presentations. Like if you met them, yeah. um, you wouldn't think they were both ADHD. Um, and I think especially with the females, um, my daughter was missed for a long time. She got diagnosed at 17, but my son was diagnosed at 10. And I think that was because obviously he presented with the hyperactive elements, which hmm. you can't miss, where she, her presentation was a lot different. Uh, and I guess why I'm interested in what you're doing is my daughter is very sporty. So she started off with football. So she was at Leeds United um, Girls Academy from 11 to 16. Um, and she boxes now um, and she's uh just made it into england she's in madrid at the moment competing with england um so she's doing brilliant fantastic fantastic yeah. so do you do you warrant her success down to adhd absolutely oh god yeah that's mm. her that's her special gift um and i think also that kind of hyper focus and determination you know, she said from, I think, about age seven or eight, the only thing she wanted to do was go to an Olympics. She said she didn't care what she was doing as long as she went yeah. to an Olympics. Um, so she was doing football and kickboxing at the same time. She com competed for Great Britain at kickboxing and then um, realised that kickboxing wasn't in the Olympics. Right. So she was like, oh, OK, that one's not going to work. Um, and then kind of fell out a bit with football for various reasons. But she'd already switched from kickboxing over to boxing so she yeah. was doing them simultaneously so when she got to 16 we were kind of like you're gonna have to make a decision on which one you're gonna do because you can't keep doing both at that level mm. um so when she kind of finished at leeds academy at 16 they didn't have a women's team at that point but she had offers off chef united blackburn things like that so she she could have gone pro um yeah. but to my horror <laughs> chose boxing instead <laughs> 
but ultimately was the right choice for a bit. Yeah, yeah I think it, it was her ADHD. It gave yeah. her, it gave her an outlet. It gave her something to focus on. Um, it was her passion, uh, and I think especially more with the boxing side of it, it's the discipline side for her. So, you know, with ADHD, it's all or nothing, and she very yeah. much is all or nothing. So if, if she's you know she's fighting and got a competition coming up, it's like she flicks a switch. And everything then is about that fight. So her discipline is ridiculous in terms of um, her food, her diet, making weight, sleep, not going out like a 19-year-old yeah. would. And then the minute the fight's over, it's like the, the switch gets flipped yeah. again. Um, and I just think that ability to kind of zone in yeah. on what she's doing um, and be so disciplined for such long periods of time, I just don't think a lot of people can do mm. that um without ADHD I think there's a lot of boxers that would probably start to think about the fact that there probably are ADHD yeah. as well yeah. I think it takes a little bit of something to get hit in the face doesn't it <laughs> yeah so do you think like you, you said then didn't you she was what about eight and she said she wanted to you know compete in the Olympics so yeah again is that an ADHD trait where at eight years old she's kept that vision in her head hasn't she that tunnel vision yeah. of and she's yeah. she's looked and gone kickboxing love it that's not going to get me to olympics what will boxing so she's that that focus yeah. has kept her Laser of focus yeah and i think it's that's you know what's got her to the point she's at i think where as a parent you worry is that it's only that there's nothing else yeah. so like when she was obviously finishing um GCSEs she was that first COVID year so she didn't sit at GCSEs which I think she was probably thankful for but then when you're talking about college and then when college was finishing it was like right what else are you going to do and she was like I don't want to do anything else and you kind of go but you need an education or you need to think about a job because what if you get injured or what if this and she's mm. literally there was nothing else she wanted to do so when yeah. you're talking to her about having even a hobby that's mm. different away from sport yeah there isn't then like that's hot that's it's mm. all consuming so it's that kind of parental worry of going well if she doesn't yeah. make it what yeah. else is she gonna do yeah but then you then have to buy into what they're saying which is they will make it yeah she, yeah, yeah. Do, i will make it yeah it's, it's it's very that is just similar to like the the journey of football as well isn't it you know yeah. these academy players and even at grassroots yeah. they become obsessed with it and there's no plan B, for want of a better term. And I certainly I can yeah. imagine as you move up the academy ranks, if you had a bit of a plan B, it sort of fades into the background the higher up you go. And yeah. I can totally understand that, you know, parental worry about, well, what happens if they don't make it? What happens if they do get injured? Things can yeah. happen, can't they? And, and I suppose yeah. as, as a parent, have you just not just got to be, you know, like just go with it, for want of a better term? Is there any point in trying to? you know uh, give them another option or another point of view um, no I think it's about how you work with them in terms of giving them an option that is maybe related to what they're doing right so you know we were then saying well what about coaching and things mm. like that which she doesn't want to do and she didn't want to do it and says she never wants to do it but that's what she did at college she did um, sport and coaching and um she works in a gym when she's not training yeah and she does PTs with, and she actually she's really good. She PTs a lot of young girls and doing boxing PTs with young yeah. girls and building their confidence and self-esteem. Um, so she's found a way to do it, but that's for her a means to an end because yeah. I think the way she framed it to us and which I got was that if I have a plan B or if I'm thinking about what else I'm doing, then I'm telling myself I'm not going to get to where I want to yeah. get. Yeah. She can't even rationalise in her head, oh, I need yeah. this to do this. So when she's working, she's working because she needs money, not yeah. because yeah. she enjoys it or not because that's what her plan B is. It's That's a means to an end mm. because I have to keep my focus on the fact that I will get to where I want to get. Totally get that. Totally get that. A, a guy that I know, a friend of mine, he's, he's one of UK's leading motivational business speakers. And one of his lines is, if you've got a plan B, it means you don't believe enough in your plan exactly. A. And that's what she says in yeah. a roundabout way, yeah. yeah. She can't yeah. allow herself to think like that. Yeah. Interestingly, though, where that can kind of fall down, which is a very ADHD thing, is 
is in a confidence in herself and a self-belief yeah. so she has it but then that little voice in her head yeah. goes yeah but what if or yeah. um, she worries too much about other people who she's facing yeah. so it's, it's this constant conflict and, and yeah. ruminating and overthinking that comes with anyone with ADHD and I think that's where within sports um, and especially in sports where you're constantly critiqued yeah. i.e. football, boxing yeah then that's when it can kind of hinder you. So I remember like her going through, when she was going through Leeds Academy, they'd have like um, reviews every three months and the stats would be analysed and then they'd be given feedback. And it was brutal. Like it wasn't, you know, there were positives in there, but where you were missing marks and stuff, they're like, they didn't wrap it up in cotton wool. It was absolutely brutal. And she used to come out of them and it would knock her for weeks yeah Yeah. um because she would just she would zone in on the one negative they could have given her five positives zone in on the one negative but it would play in her head on a loop Mm. just constantly and that still happens now like if she loses a fight she could have had two really good rounds and one bad round she'll only replay the bad round Mm. in her head over and over and over again There's, there's so many when you're talking like this there's so many then as you're talking I'm thinking about conversations I've had with other people and I've heard from other people and like I had this conversation earlier today and one of our ambassadors for the vault Stephen Corker who was an ex-pro Liverpool Tottenham uh, QPR South Southampton etc he was on a podcast uh, last month or so and he said that if I made a mistake in the 10th minute it stayed with me for the whole 90 and beyond I could not I could not get rid of it. And all the game I'm playing, yeah, I'm playing with this one mistake that I made in the 10th minute. And and like, this is a really good place to pick up from, I think, really, from a footballing perspective. So, you know, players that, I think you you term them ADHDers, don't you? Yeah. So we'll use that term. They don't have ADHD. They they are ADHD. It's their neurology. Yes, right, right. They're born that way. It's the brain, the brain is formed in a particular way so it's it's a neurological difference yeah it's not like having a a sore throat is it that you contract and let and you can get rid of it is you yeah right brilliant so looking at ADHD as in football if if you know sort of as a coach or as a parent or something and one of your players you know that you might not know they're an ADHD but they're living with these mistakes and, and you, you you tell them, you know, five good things and they only pick up on the thing that they think they've done not well. How can we, what's the best way to, 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 to support ADHD players in that respect? I think, I think it's, it's speaking to them with awareness. So I think the yeah. biggest thing that needs to happen within any sort of environment, especially where there's children and young people, is that, you know for me everybody should have an awareness of ADHD and autism they mm. should have some basic training yeah and I don't just mean in terms of like what we call the crib sheets which is you'll have done it for you somewhere you, mm. you've got a tick where it's the traits and it says sometimes mm. always often yeah 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 that's what we call a crib sheet it's past what the crib sheet is and it's things like um rejection sensitivity dysphoria so people with ADHD um have a, an extreme sensitivity to what they perceive as rejection or criticism right. and to the point where it's painful like mm. physically painful yeah. emotionally painful so if you're giving critique you have to be mindful of how you're giving it because of right. the sensitivity to it so it's being aware of your tone of voice it's your body language your lang- your language in how you're phrasing something yeah so I would say it's always about putting the positive out there. But even when you're giving them the constructive criticism, it's about how you frame it in a way that they can hear, which isn't going to feel like it's detrimental to their character. Right. But then the other thing I would ask is then is to get them to start thinking about what they do well. Mm. Because if their mind automatically goes to the thing they do wrong yeah. or they zone in on the negative, part of, of working with anybody like children with, with ADHD is getting them to think in a different way themselves so they're not yeah. so sensitive to it so it's get them every set every training session to tell you one thing they did good yeah 
yeah. So not you just giving them feedback, yeah. Yeah. get them to feedback to you. When they've got that out of a game, okay, give me two things you did well in that game. Right. right. I'm thinking that. I remember, one of the things I remember Leeds used to do actually is after every game, they'd give um, like a little sheet that the girls had to bring home after a game and take it back on the Monday for training. And I think it was like three stars and a wish, I think it was called. Mm. So they had to say three things they did well and yeah. one thing they wish could have been different. Right. And I think that along those lines of getting yeah. them to, to recognise where they need to be stronger or improve, because mm. as an athlete, it's about improving. Yeah. But also to be able to train the mind to think about the things they also do yeah. well. So, for example, like you said, then just to summarise it again for the layman like myself, a coach, a parent, after the game, what do you think you did well? Yeah. And then also, instead of telling them what they didn't do well, which is very common in parents and coaches, certainly in car on way home, and I am yeah. guilty of it with my own son. Yeah. Instead of saying that, maybe asking them, what do you think you could have done better? Well, not even word it as couldn't done better. No. What I guess you could word it as in, um, okay, tell me, tell me a couple of things that you thought you did really well. Yeah. Tell me an area you want to improve on, or tell me an area where you mm. could strengthen it. Because yeah. what you're not saying is, well, that was bad, or yeah. you need to do better. What you're saying is, how can it be even better? Yeah, get you. Brilliant. Thank you. Fantastic. Eat just little things like that. Yeah, make tweet. a massive difference, don't they? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so. Going back to understanding then ADHD yeah. and, and dispelling myths and misconceptions, yeah. um, what, what type of myths and misconceptions are, are common in, you know, society, which then, you know, then yeah. transfers down to football? And how can we how can we bust them, them myths? Yeah, I guess you you said one earlier, you're lazy, you yeah. can't be bothered. Yeah. They're not interested. Yeah. They just want to mess about. Yeah um they only do what they only want to do what they want to do they're not interested in the hard work stuff so I guess it's about understanding actually they're not lazy mm. it's you know whether it's to do with inattention or whether it's to do with um sensory issues that the ADHD brain is having to work a lot harder yeah. to do everyday things that we take for granted yeah. so for somebody with ADHD normal structured routines like getting up and having a shower and remembering to pack the bag for school etc etc yeah. go to school if, if you think of it like a battery it's constantly depleting yeah. their battery yeah. if they're not doing things to recharge then those traits are going to become more prominent so by the time they get to training on a tuesday night at seven o'clock if they've not had recharge time yeah. by the time they get to training yeah you know the 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 level the battery levels if you think of like an iphone yeah yeah is is down at 10 percent and it's beeping at you so what 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 so what what could we do then as as per, you know as parents carers guardians to help recharge those batteries yeah. between you know an intense activity like school where as you say their their brain's going twice as fast you know in layman's terms yeah. They come home and then, like a lot of kids and players, they've then got to get some tea, turn around and they're out to, to yeah. training. What can we do to help them recharge in that uh, period of time? I think, you know, as parents, but I also think in terms of as a coach, the most important thing is get to know your player yeah. and your child. So it's about building a relationship with them and asking them what they need, because quite often we'll, we'll assume what they need. Yeah. So it might be, for example, I mean, my daughter used to get in the car. My husband used to pick her up from school and she'd be literally grey in colour and like a zombie. And he'd be like, what have you, What did you have for your lunch? What did you do today? Blah, blah, blah. And she just wouldn't answer. And then he'd get really annoyed going, well, I've gone out my way to pick you up. The least you could do was answer me. And it was only sort of after her diagnosis at 17, she was like, that's what was wrong with me in the car. I just was going into shutdown because I was so overwhelmed. So yeah. if you're picking them up in the car and they don't want to speak to you, don't ask them questions, leave them. If they come in the house and they dump the bag and you tell them to pick it up and that sparks a meltdown and then there's a big almighty kickoff, don't ask them to move the bag straight away. Let them get in the house and let them 
tell you what they need. So if they need to go and sit in a dark room for half an hour, let them. If that's what they need to bring their senses down, if they need to get some food and sit in front of the TV and watch YouTube for half an hour to recharge, let them. And when they've recharged and had that moment, then ask them to do the things they need to do, whether that's homework, move the bag, tidy the room, get the dinner, get the football kit ready. So it's speak to them. And it's the same as a coach. When your player comes and you know they've got ADHD or you suspect they've got ADHD, the most important aspect to your job then is to get to know the child and the parents and ask them, how does that affect them? What might I see from them when they're struggling? What, you know, what what do I need to look out for? Is it a change in colour of their skin? You know, is it heavy eyes? Is it actually they get more fidgety? Yeah. Let me know so I know then what, what's coming so I can adapt how I speak to them in that moment mm. so I'm not triggering them. I suppose like... If if they are if the battery is lower, are they then more sensitive to um, you know criticism and and uh, yeah yeah and things like that? So yeah, and you've got to think as well. You've got co-occurring conditions like anxiety. Yeah. Um, if they've got emotional dysregulation, they're going to be easily triggered in their emotions. So they're either going to have meltdowns or shutdowns. If their battery is drained and they're not knowing what's coming at football, their anxiety levels are going the heightening and therefore then you get barriers so they might refuse to go to train I don't want to go tonight it's boring my coach hates me blah 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 you get all the excuses yet you know that when they get there they're going to love it and be all happy after and I think it's about remembering with ADHD in particular the looking for dopamine kicks Mm -hmm. and how you get dopamine is arguing so don't yeah. give them the argument, encourage them to get the dopamine hit in a different way, which you can use laughter, you know, playfulness, fun. My son watches a certain 10 minutes of a TV programme that makes him belly laugh and then he stands up and he can crack on again. Um, yeah. So it's just working with the families to find out what they need to kind of recharge them and give them that dopamine kick. So, so as as a as a parent or carer, when they come home from school, just let them be. Yeah. If it means if it means they're not talking, if it means they're not engaging, they're not ignorant, they're not lazy, they're not that they can't be asked. They just need that time to come down, come down, refuel, literally. Yeah. You know, so food, drink, yeah. and Absolutely. because like, is it? It's a bit like I always in my head see it as like a bit like a computer processor that it's whirring so much, and then when when you're on your laptop, when it's working so hard, the fan comes on, doesn't it? Yeah. And I imagine that, you know, ADHDers are at school and the fan's on constantly. So when they when they come out and get in the car to go home or, you know, get home, that's when they want to just shut well, the fan off, the shut the computer off and let it cool down. And that's the time yeah. we just need to leave them. Absolutely. Brilliant. And it be different ways. And, and a lot of it will, a lot of it to do with school is, you know, I think I've said this before, it's like a, a Ferrari brain with push brake bike, push bike brakes. The brakes are not strong enough for the rate of what the brain is going at in terms of how fast it's going, but equally with the inattention side of ADHD, it's, yes, the brain might be going fast, but the body isn't. Um, but their ability to absorb information and process information is harder. So the brain has to work harder to even take in. We're not just talking about what teachers are teaching them. With sensory difficulties, it's hard for them to, to take sensory information in that drains them. So things like um, clients explain it to me. If they've got um, audio sensitivity, hmm. one of the misconceptions and myths to bust is that well, they can't have they can't have audio sensitivities because they have the music blasting out, and it isn't that. What it is, it's about um, for for noise. It's about layers and their brain taking in the information. So the way my daughter explains it is, if she has her headphones in with her music, that's only one thing her brain needs to listen to because yeah. it blocks out the noise yeah. of everything else. So her brain doesn't have to work very hard if she doesn't have her headphones in. We can sit here now, me and you. And I'll hear the train go past over the way. I might hear a car pull up. I might hear the dog in the kitchen. Yeah. I hear all these different noises and my brain registers them like that yeah. and then dismisses them. Yes. With audio sensitivities, 
they're taking that information in in layers okay what was that noise oh I've, I've got to work that out but by the time I've worked that one out another one's happened yeah. it takes ages and it tires them mm-hmm. and that's just one sense they might yeah. have that visual movement yeah. taste smell so you can imagine the amount of input that we take for branded yeah. in our senses that drains them yeah you put yourself in a school situation yeah noise smell the canteen you can imagine how hard that is for them yeah. by the time they come out they're done in yeah yeah to- yeah I could, I, i'd see it totally yeah really um so then we, we've identified that you know that there's a lot of stimulation coming at coming at them and and yeah. maybe like like us we, we we can like you know neuro non what what is it neurotypical people neurotypical people if there is such a thing they can maybe compartmentalize those sensations and incoming messages and and then as you said compartmentalize it and then put it where it needs to be i don't even think it's that compartmental i think it's just we register it in an instant our brain hears it registers it it's all to do with subconscious bits of our brain and the prefrontal cortex of taking information in it's instant what we call with with sensory issues is what we call low registration and low registration means it's the speed at which the brain processes sensory input so if you're then thinking about um if we bring it back to football coaching session yeah you're on a field at on an evening and you might have floodlights on that are quite bright Mm. You might have all the parents chatting around the side of the pitch. You've got a whistle going. You've got some kids in one corner chatting. You know, you might have a dog barking. Then the coach is giving you loads of instructions yeah. and then all the cones are set out. Yeah. And that ADHD kid's fat stood there going, what? Yeah, you can yeah, yeah. Coming everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so you've got to be aware of that. Well, that brings up that brings on nicely to the next part, and where we'd be saying want to talk about coaching techniques for players with ADHD. So, you know, discussing strategies for keeping players with ADHD engaged during practice, making instructions more digestible, and channeling their energy into the game or the session. Have you got any tips around that, please? Yeah, so I think in terms of how to do that, again, like I said, is is get to know the child and what their yeah. struggles are so that you know them what you what you're facing so don't assume that every ADHD child you come across is going to be the same that's why it's important to build that relationship if you then build that relationship when you need to do the critiquing and the feedback in mm-hmm. they're not going to take it so personal because they know that you're doing it from a good place yeah. and trust them so that's the first thing then what I would say is in terms of the actual coaching side is vary drills if you do the same drill for 25 minutes or every yeah. training session they're going to get bored yeah. you know my, my daughter tells me this now the worst part of her boxing training is drills yeah. you know having to throw a jab for five minutes it just yeah. bores life out of her yeah. and the next minute she's zoned out and the coach is like beth what are you doing yeah yeah so very drills if you're going to do drills do them for short amounts of time 10 minute maximum um find a way to keep them on task that isn't calling them out in front of people so whether it's just a tap on the shoulder if, if you've noticed they've drifted off or if they've started chatting to another player and distracting just a tap on the shoulder and that's a, again because you've built that relationship with them you've mm. got that pre-agreed if I see you going off task or if I see you chatting to someone when you shouldn't I'm just going to tap you on the shoulder mm. that's your sign um, it might be that you then vary the positions they're playing in training. So they're not, if it's goalkeeper, for example, and they're stuck in goal waiting and it's a bit one-sided and they've got yeah. nothing to do, get them out. Yeah. You know, vary what they're doing in training. Game situations are different because they're on it then. They know what mm. they're doing. Yeah. Um, I think sort of alter, so alternate between multiple practice positions, vary your drills involve them in the coaching you know we're thinking about trying to build self-esteem yeah you know if you know if one of the other things i would do is is if they're say um i don't know a center back and that's their position and they love it and part of the hyper focus and building hyper focusing is go okay you're playing center back 
I want you to choose your favourite centre-back player and I want you to go and watch them on YouTube. And next training session, I want you to come in and I want you to tell me what you learned about what they do at centre-back. And then I want you to I want you to coach that to the rest of the group. Brilliant. Because you're engaging their hyper-focus, you're building their confidence and self-esteem, but also you're varying training up by giving the kids a chance to be involved in a different way. Brilliant, um, yeah. You know, and they'll often then get obsessed with stuff like that, and it's it, it's good in that respect. So things like that you can put in, emphasise the positives. Yeah. Um, because of rejection sensitivity, but when you're emphasising the positives again, like we said, just be mindful of then how you give the feedback to the yeah. critiques. Be mindful of facial expressions and tone of voice. Um, provide immediate and consistent feedback. Don't give them feedback to something that happened three training sessions ago because yeah. it's gone. So it needs to be in the yeah. moment. Um, and again, think about how you're framing it because if you're giving them immediate feedback and it's not necessarily wholly positive, I guarantee you they'll go home that night and that's all they're going to think about and it'll be on a loop and they won't be able to shift it. That will then create a barrier for them coming to the next session. Um, what was the other one I was thinking about? Don't threaten or punish them. Right. You know, if they've missed training, come from an understanding point of view. Talk to them, why did you miss training? None of this. If you miss another one, you're not getting started in the next game. Yeah. Try and think about what's underneath that, because often it'll be an anxiety-based issue. Mm. So just think a bit outside the box with it. Um, I think you said the other one earlier, which is keep instructions concise, mm. specific short one instruction at a time get them to repeat the instruction back to you right yeah so that so you know they've heard it um and i guess the other one is let them fidget if you're yeah. explaining a drill don't be put off by the fact that they're doing little kick-ups with the ball or something that if they're fidgeting it's their way of trying to keep their brain alert that's right. why we use fidget toys in schools. Yeah. If they've got a fidget toy and they're doing something with the hands, it's keeping the brain awake to keep them on task. So if you've got to explain a drill or, for example, if you're explaining pre-game uh, the tactics for that game, let them fidget in an appropriate way. Otherwise, they're going to switch off and they're not going to hear what you've got to say. So let them do little kick-ups with the ball or let them sit on the ball where they can kind yeah. of rock about. So find an appropriate way to let them fidget. Don't tell them off for it because that's their way of stimulating themselves to hear you. So brilliant. So, so don't assume because they're not looking you bang in the eye that they're not listening. It's their yeah. way of, you know, yeah. so like I say, some, uh, uh, one of your players doing kick-ups or messing about with ball, yeah. it's it's his or her way of engaging and taking in what you're saying. Yeah. Brilliant. But how you can check that out is to then use their name. So that yeah. when you're, even if you're giving feedback or you're giving tactics out to the whole group, use their name to check that they're listening. Yeah. You know, not a, uh, you know, Stephen, are you listening to me? Go, yeah. Stephen, what did you think about that tactic? Yeah. Did you think that would be... Do you think that would be a good, useful one? Yeah, yeah. Because then they can go, oh, yeah, I think that would be X, yeah. Y, and Z. Or they might go, oh, really sorry, I missed that. Could you just tell me again? Yeah. I've done that as a coach. Like, I've thought, I've thought they're not listening. So then I'll say, oh, you know, what, what do you think of that? Yeah. And then they'll, they'll go and they'll give me a massive, brilliant answer. And I'm going, yeah. how, the, how did they take all that in while juggling a ball? You know, yeah. and, and, but as you, as you learn about what we're talking about now, you then realise that that's the way that they you know and and I think you know like you said we all need more education on this every one of us yeah. because what is it one in five people now neurodivergent mm -hmm. I can see how difficult it is though because it is such a there's such so much to take in and you know as a as a coach myself you know you, you're thinking about positions coaching keeping it interactive safeguarding first aid everything you know so there's a lot to do but when you start listening to these simple things that you're giving off here which aren't simple but once you know it is yeah. it makes your job easier and it makes it more it makes it better for everyone doesn't it yeah 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 and it if is. you think how we 
help them is with you know if you think of um the fact that it's a neurological difference they're lacking in things like dopamine and serotonin and they're the things that help them pay attention so by making something fun having a bit yeah. of banter with them making them laugh yeah. gives them a dopamine hit they can then yeah. focus for five more minutes yeah. you know if everything's super serious all the time then they're going to switch off. They yeah, need yeah. kind of fun. And actually, the whole focus of grassroots football should be fun. We're not yeah, yeah, 100%. a professional player. Yeah. We're trying to give them life skills. And that's what the focus should be on is life skills. And for ADHD children, these are life skills. Yeah, brilliant. So then moving on to the game then and ADHD and game strategies and harnessing that hyper-focus that ADHDers have. Um, how can we how can we utilize that hyper focus in a player you know and get the best out of them as a coach or as a, a parent or a, you know carer before or during after after the game how can we harness that hyper focus well you shouldn't have to to be honest because yeah. that's if they hyper focus that's what they do so like when yeah. i was saying about my daughter she might struggle in um training to focus because she's not doing what she likes to do, which is just play the game mm-hmm. and get stuck in and have and yeah. tackle and things like that. In game situations, the likelihood is the majority of the time they will be pretty switched on. But equally, we have to then be aware that when we're working with younger ones, they are going to drift off sometimes. I think my son, when he was playing rugby, and half the time, like, um, if the other team had the ball, because the ball wasn't in hand for him, mm-hmm. He's looking at what the other game on the other pitches, mm-hmm. and yeah. suddenly like, Mikey, Mikey, switch on. Yeah. How so old he, was he then, Tasha? Oh God, he does that even now, and he's fifteen now. Right, right. Well, but, that, that's just good to know that because yeah. you know you, you might think, oh, if they're doing that at five, they really should not be doing that at 11, 12, 13, oh, 14, no, they, 15. Yeah, but... they'll be doing that because again, it depends on what the position they play. So I would say for somebody like a goalkeeper, if your team is really good and on the attack all the time and your goalkeeper's not got much to do, then they're going to switch off. Yeah. So then yeah. what you would do is, if you know that, you'd maybe have one of the coaches stood behind the goal, talking to them. Yeah. Right, yeah. look at the play, shout to yeah. your defender. Yeah. You know, right, they're on the attack, where is your position? What are you yeah. so talking to them, getting them yeah. to talk back? So if you know that, have someone there, because then you might do that and eventually what you would hope is that they can start to do that for themselves okay yeah. I know I'm not doing anything right now but what's my defender doing where are mm. they that self-talk so you kind yeah. of mirror the behavior and, and they can also they can also then communicate with all their outfield players and even though they're not involved they're actively involved here and here aren't they? with, their head yes. with them, the brain and the mouth and they yeah. are contributing to the team aren't they so it keeps them yeah. focused but I would imagine if you are a midfielder the game is going on all yeah. the time so the yeah. likelihood is you're pretty switched on all the time you yeah. might have a, a second where you switch off and then the ball's gone but then you're recovering yeah. and doing something about yeah. it so I don't think the game situations are the hardest part I think it's the training situations but then what yeah. you get then is if the training situation isn't set up properly then what you might get then come game day is high anxiety, high anxiety levels before the game, which therefore means they're not performing at their optimum. So the performance levels in the game might be low, not necessarily because of the game, but because of the prep, you yes. know, or the, the difficulties is the falling out with teammates, things like that. You know, so it's the barriers before the game that might then on game day mean the performance levels are not consistent. Brilliant. That that leads us lovely into the next piece I wanted to ask you, which was psychological psychological support and building resilience in the ADHD players. And um, you know, can we address the mental health aspect and the importance of building resilience and self-esteem in players with ADHD? What what can we do around that? So again, I think training. Yeah. to understand um, things like the rejection sensitivity but also about the emotional difficulties that some ADHD people can have I think being aware of co-occurring conditions you know someone with a diagnosis of ADHD can have up to six other diagnoses including things like anxiety and depression you look at 
some pro players that have just come out or ex-pro players with gambling addiction. I mean, there's two, isn't there? There's Ivan Tony and someone else last week who've been yeah. done for um, It was Harry Toffolo. Yeah, so you kind of go, okay, what's going on with them guys yeah. that the even though they know they shouldn't do it, they've still done it. Yeah. So you, you've got other ex-players like Jermaine Pennant, who's talked about yeah. the fact that he is ADHD yeah. and the difficulties he had. So you have to have an awareness that these players can be suffering with depression, they can be suffering with high anxiety, but they rock up to training with a smile on the face mm. and the mask in it because yeah. they need to be grateful that they're that 1% of pro players that have made it. Mm. And if you express how you feel in a very male-orientated world, how is that going mm. to be perceived? And so that comes at an emotional cost. So I think we have to be aware and have training around the fact that these co-occurring conditions are there and we need to be working to support them with that. And whether that's with things like you're doing with the mental health playbook, whether it's the PFA, whether it's training people in this. But for me as a therapist, I go back to the core of what I do, which is the young person in front of me. I hold them central to everything, the relationship with them, get to know them so that you become an important person in their life where they can come and say, do you know what? I really didn't want to come to training tonight because I've had a really rough day at school and I'm in isolation tomorrow and this, that and the other. Because often the football will be their outlet. It will be their positive place. So we need to encourage that. Ask them what they need to feel safe at training um ask parents what strategies they're using at home to support them and can you mirror them at training um ask them about whether there are sensory issues so that you can adapt your training to that so that they're not worried about coming because they're going to be overstimulated i think um making well-being adjustments so are you an inclusive club are you talking openly with all the children about mental health and well-being so there's no stigma? Yeah. Are we, you know, even I would even say, and it will go into the inclusive environment section after, but even saying that, you know, ADHD is talked about with the team. Yeah. You know, if it's one in five and you've got a mm. squad of 20, yeah. you're going to have more than one player who's ADHD possibly. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think setting achievable goals that are reached quickly don't set them a goal for the whole season yeah. don't set them a goal for in a month their goal ADHD is about instant gratification yeah. instant rewards yeah. yeah you know dopamine is a reward based chemical so give them a goal for that training session that they can achieve give them a goal in the game that's coming up that they can achieve mm-hmm. then give them that feedback about that goal yeah. and give them that lift that build self-esteem don't set something that's so far in the future that they just go well i can't even think that far ahead so what's the point yeah 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 yeah. so these these smaller achievable goals is like i'm just trying to picture it as like a ladder so you're still getting to the top you've just got more rungs on it and each time you each time you hit a rung that's closer to each other that esteem is just been built up each rung yeah Yeah. it might be that it's um I don't know. Um, in this training session, I want you to um, do a certain skill three times. Yeah. And a, and a skill you know they can do. Yeah. Yeah. That they're going to do and feed yeah, off. Yeah. It might be in a game situation. I want you to make, I want you to win two, um, two tackles in yeah. the field. I want you to do two headers in the box, whatever it might be. I don't know. They don't do headers anymore at this level, do they? Not, not at this age, no. But but like that, that's a, a good thing. You could even do that each half, couldn't you? Yeah, then exactly. they're getting a hit each half. So if you said, I want this half, I want you to win two tackles. And at half time, they're coming off. Yeah. You know, up, you know, that, that dopamine yeah. hit. Let's build on that. I want another two if you can, you know, you'd word it different. Can you give me two more tackles? And then they've, they've hit two rungs of a ladder in a short space of time, haven't they? And if, But even if they don't, it's almost going, OK, you didn't get your two tackles. But yeah. actually, that's because the attacking play was so good. Yeah, yeah. See how you're not going, yeah. you didn't do your two tackles. Yeah. Oh, you didn't get your two tackles. However, I know I really noticed you did this, this and this. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. So going, so then talking about creating an inclusive environment for players with ADHD, how how can how can we do that as as, as a grassroots 
football community? I think just making it whole team. So it's, mm. you know, um, whether it's during pre-season, you're running workshops. You know, I remember when Beth was at Leeds, every year they did the same workshops. There was one on nutrition. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and there was one on something else I can't remember what it was and I remember Beth going I've done this nutrition one three times now so I'm like so for me I'm like actually what would have been really good is to vary that with mental health stuff um you know or you know preventing injuries or whatever yeah. I think you could do something like that which is actually during the pre-season get the parents in get the kids in and do a whole team workshop on ADHD and how you're going to support players and families because the likelihood is you're going to get new players every season, but you kind of then building that from really early on because I think that should happen within pro and semi-pro clubs as well. Um, and I think then that helps the teammates understand those those kids as well because what happens is you do have peer difficulties, you do have peer fallouts. If you've got one of the kids that's a bit too hyper, they can feel a bit much to the other kids. Mm. Or, you know, if you've got one that sits on the outside of the team and doesn't engage in some of the outside activities, they can be seen as a bit of a loner or boring or whatever. So if you're explaining to these players, some kids are like this and some kids are like this, it just gives that bit of understanding, but also helps the ADHD children to be able to voice that. So again, with my son, a lot of his friends know he's ADHD, so they know there are times when he can be a bit heightened and a bit hyper and actually, they're all right with that. But there are times when he withdraws a little bit or there might be some times when he blurts something out that's inappropriate and they're all like, oh. So he'll say things like to friends or teammates, listen, sometimes I might say something and I won't mean it. But if it offends you, tell me, because then I, I know that I've done it and I won't be upset. Or, you know, if I'm a bit, if I'm bouncing all over, you know, just kind of give me a tap on the shoulder or whatever. So it encourages them to be vocal about it and feel accepted, not shamed. Um, and I think um, coaches acknowledge difficulties really early, acknowledge there could be anxiety, acknowledge there could be distractions, acknowledge there could be sleep issues. So they might come in looking really tired mm -hmm. and very with it. Ask them, how was your sleep last night? Um, you know, how are, you, how are you going to resolve team conflicts? You know, the biggest one I would say is when a team lose or give a goal away and you start blaming each other. Well, if you've got someone with rejection sensitivity and they're getting blamed for letting a goal in, that's going to really affect them. Um, and whether that means they withdraw or the next thing they're on top of the laddies, blame them, try to punch them. Mm. how do you resolve that then how do you make the environment inclusive that you can resolve situations better um and yeah tap into the strengths of ADHD I think like my experience has been in a lot of a lot of areas is that young people are more accepting and understanding of ADHD than actual adults are yeah absolutely like, yeah I'd you know agree. like I say that I think you know most most kids now have got a friend that is neurodiverse shall we say and they seem just really all right with it and and chilled about it and understanding it's no big deal to them it seems to be parents that have a yeah a bigger issue with it and I'm not sort of criticism I just think it's education and you know yeah. understanding but I think that's a really good point and I think that's why the workshops need to include parents yeah. because you know and I know there's a big thing around um especially young referees getting grief off parents I found standing at the side of my daughter playing football at grassroots level and then when she was at Leeds just a horrible situation at times because the stuff that was said from parents to their own kids but also at other people's kids when things didn't go right was just appalling yeah. well actually if you're doing that as a parent and you're not aware that somebody's child's got ADHD you don't know the impact you've had on them if you've blamed them for giving the ball away or a goal, that child will be laying in bed that night and that's all they're going to hear on repeat. And that is really detrimental to their mental health. And that's why I think as an inclusive environment, we involve parents in that because they've got a massive part to play. You talked about the car journey home after games. Yeah. You know, I remember conversations my husband would have with my daughter and actually he was quite 
good at giving the feedback and asking yeah. her and things like that. And she would want that um, honesty from him. But we know some parents were just like giving it loads. Like you have to be aware of on any child of how you're behaving towards them. Full stop. It shouldn't yeah. happen. But it can be, you know, especially detrimental to someone yeah. with ADHD or autism. So when at the top, when we started this, we, you know, we talked about sort of refueling mentally and, and literally so can we just touch on refueling from a, a nutritional and lifestyle perspective for for people yeah. with ADHD and certainly you know ADHD footballers can you give yeah. some tips on that so I think things like mental performance conditioning so things like um helping them to develop coping skills things like visualizing and imagery um so again like I said you know the rumination within ADHD is quite tough things go on a loop but you could tap into that by going, okay, rather than ruminating on the negatives, let's put a loop of an image in your head. Yeah. You know, visualise what you want to do in that game. If we've set you an achievable goal of two two tackles, visualise you doing them two tackles. So that kind of practising prior to games and training, you know, helps again with anxiety and things like that. Teaching them relaxation techniques, you know, some some are okay with mindfulness I find young people find mindfulness really hard mm. but what they can do is do simple things like I talk about things like bubble breathing you know so it's playful you know when you blow bubbles with mm. the uh you know the dipsticks and you yeah. blow bubbles, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can practice breathing and relaxation tapes um things like that with bubbles and make it fun for little ones um, you might find a different way of doing that with old ones that self-talk so again when I talk about the goalkeeper the guy behind yeah. or woman behind coach behind talking to them encouraging to do that then so they can do the self-talk in their own head yeah. I think so that's part of that mental health conditioning that we can start at little age which can see them all the way through their, their professional careers if they go that far it's a good life skill full stop yeah. I think it's understanding that neurodivergent athletes are at a higher risk of burnout so it's being aware of that and that's about the amount of energy they expend mentally and physically and if their nutrition isn't right then that burnout can happen longer you know so it can take hours days weeks months so my daughter when she hits burnout will crash literally and burn and she always gets ill always gets a cold um and you can you know this is probably a touch wood that I'm not cursing enough but this is the longest she's gone without being ill yeah, yeah. because we put lots of things in place to support her with that yeah. um so what we do to help avoid burnout is understand who they are and the sensory difficulties and the nutrition they need and put more of the things that recharge them in and help them to mitigate the situations that you know is going to drain them yeah so what do we do, you know, so for my, for example, if my daughter's at a competition, I was just talking to her earlier, actually, and um, she's not fighting now till Saturday. And I was saying to her, just make sure you, you take your time away from the team, go to your room, you know, de-stimulate. Yeah. So yeah. we practice techniques with her, hmm. but equally when she's in competition, when she's in one of these arenas, there might be two or three boxing rings going on. So she puts a hood up, she puts her headphones in. Yeah. To kind of block everything out I might say to her just go for a walk take yourself away from the bright lights so work out where their struggles are and try and mitigate them yeah. so for example if you're on an away game and they're on a coach for three hours how how do you help them to mitigate all of that noise and everything so that by the time they get to the game they're not drained yeah yeah so that side of it and then I think in terms of nutrition, I think it's about getting their supplements right. There's lots of research at the moment in terms of things like uh, creatine, for example, um, which people use to build muscle, but it has yeah. an effect on the brain. That's still one that's being researched um, in terms of um, that, that kind of part of the nutrition. But high-protein diet, because protein helps um, brain function um, and actually what we find is people with ADHD tend to not eat protein they go for the carbs because it's a quick sugar fix gives them a lift 
and actually their protein diet is too low right so it's getting protein into them more because actually then that stimulates the brain efficiency and more dopamine and serotonin and yeah. what have you um magnesium and zinc so magnesium um helps with neurotransmitters that control emotions and hyperactivity and attention zinc helps with producing dopamine which adhd are lacking in um, which helps low zinc means less concentration and can affect low mood mm-hmm. and anxiety levels vitamin d which that's in the news a lot for everything yeah. but it is true um and vitamin b6 and there's some research i don't know how i don't know the efficacy of it you might need someone more expert than me to tell you about this but b6 the evidence is suggesting high doses of vitamin b6 is effect as effective as ritalin for adhd right, right. fantastic so, and the other one is your omegas six and three and again brain function yeah. so your salmon and things like that that is yeah so it might be make sure you eat high protein foods that high in omegas and things like that there's a supplement i give to my son and it's actually called neurobalance neurobalance get it on amazon and in neurobalance is magnesium zinc and vitamin b6 i've seen like um, with a lot of adhds the, the 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 sugar for that for that quicker hit you know the the they'll, they'll eat consume quite a lot of sugar which sends them like that and then they go like that like like everyone does yeah and it is the notorious for craving carbs my daughter's terrible for it in terms of she she loves bread she's obsessed with bread chocolate yeah Yeah. um and things like pasta and stuff and she was one that wasn't great with the protein she's a lot better at it now because she's had to be My son's the same, so I have to give him protein shakes um, to get his protein levels up. Brilliant. Thank you. Amazing. Honestly, that is things like that are just to 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 people like myself as a parent and a coach. It's just gold. They're just gold nuggets. Them that are really you can act on them straight away, can't you? The, all these things you're saying. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Absolutely. And things like um, you know, I think we were we didn't really go into it, but things like um sleep issues yes. one of the things for people with adhd is they don't produce enough melatonin which helps yeah. them go to sleep which is why you can get melatonin tablets well being low in zinc suppresses the production of melatonin right if you can get your zinc levels up it can help to lift your melatonin levels which can help with sleep which then right. you know if you sleep better everything is yeah. better but it also um low zinc levels um reduces your serotonin and your serotonin is your happy chemical so just getting some of those basics right could make a world of difference um in terms of supplements and diet um so yeah these sort of things that you're saying as well i had a conversation earlier today with someone about how certainly academies and pro clubs have got nutrition and strength training down to a t these are maybe the, the things that academies could pick up on. These the yeah. simple things like zinc and 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 um, the other magnesium and such like, these would massively help their players, which leads me on to the last section, really, which is how do you think, how, how, how will those academies that embrace ADHD, how do you think it will benefit them moving forward? So those academies, that, that as we now move into a, a society where one in five people are ADHDers. How will professional academies benefit from embracing ADHD? I think they'll attract more players to them. So if you've got a really good player that's got the choice of a few clubs, it comes down to using football in terms of those one percenters. Yeah. So it isn't just what what the player is going to gain from the club it's what can the club offer the player that makes a difference to me then and the families Mm. want to choose that so an inclusive environment like that that can offer all of these things is going to be more attractive so they're going to you know either retain or attract better players in terms of more players but i think those players that have high 
hopes you know the academies have high hopes for these plays but they don't quite hit performance levels um consistently and they're at a loss to why and then they put it down to lack of effort and then get rid you kind of go well what who are you missing you know you look at i've seen like there's a couple of um really young players that have gone to other clubs and they've been released you know one of them was one of the crystal palace players got released and has gone somewhere else and done amazing and you kind of go well actually you know what was it that meant they didn't um, do it for crystal palace for example or what did crystal palace miss that would have meant that actually i think the player was at city and you go city have got this amazing player but they started at palace how did palace let them go yeah. And it can be things like that where they've just not had the education set up to go, well, actually, maybe this player is not consistent because of this reason. Yeah. Or players start falling off a little bit and suddenly, you know, for whatever reason, they want to be out with the mates more or, you know, you've got addict- addictions coming in and things like that and you lose them again. So I just think in terms of player retention, I think you know it would be better but I also then think about what we're setting up for these players that turn pro um and especially when they're turning pro at such a young age I mean you only have to look at the situation with Jaden Sancho right now big player at a very young age you know and all for whatever's coming out at the minute is talking about his mental health you know I think that's a club issue at Man United because um Jesse Lingard went through the same. Marcus yeah. Rashford's gone through the same. Mm-hmm. So for me, there's a culture issue at that club around yeah. mental health and supporting the players. And I think it's the same. If you don't have the culture right about mental health and things like ADHD, then these big players are not achieving what people thought because actually sometimes at some point it just becomes too much for them mm-hmm. and they burn out. Yeah, yeah. But burn out can can manifest itself in other ways. Like you said, going yourself about gambling and addiction, yeah. that, that, that's how burnout can manifest itself. So people, uh, it's really interesting that you say that, that what, what has Club A missed that Club B's found? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And often it's one person in the club that's just yeah. made it, you know, go back to what I said yeah. right at the beginning, building relationships, get to know your players. The top managers, Yeah. when you hear players talk about, about top managers they always talk about the one-on-one relationship yeah ferguson yeah he's a a classic example yeah you know no they can't you know i think i saw something about um minamino who hardly got played at liverpool who's now doing really well in germany has come out last week saying how amazing Klopp was now he could have a gripe with him and slag him off yeah yeah. i know he took the time to always speak to the players build a relationship If you've got people at youth level, academy level, and the transition into first team that's consistent all the way through, that you know whether it's a well-being officer that operates all the way through, that knows each player and their difficulties, no matter what that is, it might be a difficult childhood, it could be ADHD, it could be um, a history of addiction, whatever. If you know the player, then you can adapt the environment for them. Brilliant. Tasha, thank you. So honestly, I could have listened to you all day and it's just, there's things that you've said that, that have lit light bulbs that I'm thinking, oh yeah, there's things that you've said that I can see in my area of life, football area and things like that. So it's just been amazing. And I think so many people in football will listen to this and, and learn from it because if 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 they don't know someone you know, in their family that, that has ADHD, they'll know someone outside of the family that's got it, yeah. you know, that's living with ADHD, going back to the one in five. So j- just to quickly finish, what really struck me is, can you just remind me of the, uh, like when you're highlighting what they did well and what they need to improve on? Can you just highlight, just remind me how to word that, please? Oh gosh, you're testing me. Know. You know, you, you, you said, you know, they did really well at this and then there's something that they need to work on. Yeah, I think, we... like just, I think it's just looking at an area of strengthening. So rather than framing it of what could you do better, which implies they didn't do it so well, it's almost putting it in, in language of um, 
and use so within the therapy world I use the words I notice and I wonder a lot I notice is the observation and I wonder is about curiosity so I notice you did that skill two times in that game I'm just wondering did you think it go well it went well I'm just wondering how can we improve that even more so you've not said it didn't go well but what you're saying is how can we improve it more how can we get it even to a higher level how can we as well we yeah. not you we. we not them we how can and how can I support you to get there if you Brilliant. want to achieve this or if if we're going to work on I don't know defensive jewels what do I need to give you yeah. to to help you to get to that brilliant thanks so much Tasha really really appreciate it um before we go then just remind us who you are and where we can find you please so you can find me under Tasha Walsh on LinkedIn um, and Seeing and Her Therapy is on Insta, Twitter, Facebook and my website is uh, seeingandhertherapy.co.uk. Brilliant. Tasha, thanks so much. Honestly, Welcome. could have listened to you all day, but I know we haven't got all day. Really, really <laughs> appreciate it, Tasha. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>